you know, I feel, I feel really lucky. I feel really blessed to um, have the opportunity to perceive some of these um, other sides of reality. You know, um, I've had, I've, I've received so much healing because of it. My girlfriend who died, Alex was her name. She came to me in a dream, one of those hyper-real connections. She took my hand and she brought me on a school bus. And I remember she was sitting on the seat in front of me, just like one of those yellow school buses that you take to elementary school, you know? And she was sitting in the seat in front of me, leaning over the seat and holding my hand. And she was telling me that everything was okay, that she was really happy, and that she was so excited to show me where we were headed. So we get to this building. I don't really remember what the building looks like, but she takes me off the bus and she brings me into this building. And it just looks like a elementary school. You know, when I go in, we go through the hallways and then I go into one of the classrooms. The room was huge. It was, it was almost, it almost felt like um, the blackboard was about a hundred yards long. All, the, the entire blackboard was covered in writing, in chalk writing, but it was all these languages and symbols that I'd never seen before. I didn't know them, but I knew that they were the languages of the universe. Just somehow I knew that. And Alex spoke to me and she said that she's in the advanced classes now and she's actually learning all of the languages of the universe. And she's so happy and she's so excited. And then she came in this visitation to just let me know that so that I could rest. So that I, I could let that part go because um, I've also learned along the way that it's our attachment to sorrow and to grief that keeps those souls closer to the earth plane than they need to be. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, a mystic on a journey to heal himself in order to heal others. I'm with Tim Rothschild, and we just stepped outside of an occult bookstore. All right, we're in Brooklyn. Yes, we are. What's your relationship to this place? Honestly, uh, when you first asked me that question, the drive here... I, I didn't think I had one. And then when we pulled off the exit, I remembered this is the birthplace of my first spiritual business. This is, you know, it was the Brooklyn Bazaar, the warehouses here where I first set up my table, judging the crap out of myself and, and, and relatively embarrassed to set this table up and offer numerology and tarot readings, you know, but that's, that was like my first breakthrough of my initial judgments of like what held me back from entering into this spiritual world and saying okay here I am like this is this is what I'm doing I've I've left my white-collar six-figure sales job and now I'm here at the Brooklyn Bazaar giving people divinations Tim's a mystic more specifically he's a non-dual Kabbalistic healer he works with consciousness or our awareness of the reality in which we experience as well as that in which only can be perceived through things like divination, like numerology and astrology. In addition to a more subtle secret language, things like synchronicity, dreams, and visions. 
Some believe that, like signposts or even a glitch in the matrix, these bits of info reveal the design of our reality, and once recognized can guide us, and perhaps provide some form of life-altering insight. Essentially, the idea is that if you learn to really listen, the universe will reveal itself, and for people like Tim, help them heal from something like a traumatic loss. The idea is that we're living in a holographic nature where everything is available for me right here, right now, but I have to linearly move through time and space and heal enough in order for the information to integrate into my system. What was it like to essentially pack up those tarot cards for the first time? Yeah. Put them in your pocket, put them in your fanny pack, whatever, mm -hmm. and go down there with the intent of sharing knowledge with other people. Mm -hmm. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I was feeling a lot of different things, you know, probably at the foremost was fraudulence, you know, like who, who am I? Who am I to be exploring this stuff and divining information, you know? And the other piece, which I've always also made loud and clear is my own judgment, shame and embarrassment about taking on this new role, you know? Um, but it was, it was interesting, you know, cause, because while all of that is going on and for most I would think would probably become the obstacle that prevents them from entering into that world. Um, I had support from the most unlikely of places. The, the parts inside of myself where the judging mind came from was typically my family, you know, um, my family who wanted me to be a business guy. So like people were not happy when I left all of this money behind and I abandoned it completely, dug my heels in the sand and said, fuck it, I'm talking to angels now. Next, Tim continues his journey to heal himself, as well as others, after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It was overwhelming to, you know, to the level of information that was coming into my life at the time was like, it was like a raging river of confusion. And I was just using sex and drugs and alcohol to sort of contain what was happening and sort of process what was happening. And what was happening was this, I would go to sleep, whether I was shit faced on whatever drug, it didn't matter. I would go to sleep and I would have a very vivid dream. And I'm talking about the kinds of dreams that haunt a person. And I don't even mean that in the negative sense, the kind of dreams that have that quality that hangs with you for the day or the day after, or maybe you're telling people like about that dream years after. It's that quality of dream, right? Hyper-realistic, hyper-vivid, so conscious. I was so lucid during the dream, yet 
I didn't feel entirely in control. And what was happening was my brother, who had died four or five years earlier, was showing up and he tells me, he goes, Tim, and he, and he like, he gets my attention and he goes, we're going on a trip. And I'm like, dude, we're not going on a trip. I'm not going anywhere with you. I don't want to, I, I got to hit the gym in the morning. I got work. I grabbed my mom in the dream. And I'm like, mom, Rob wants us to go on a trip. I'm not going on a trip. And then I'd suddenly become even more conscious. And I'd look at him and I'd go, wait, you're dead. And he would lock eyes with me in a way that would vibrate the cells in my body and smile. And then I would float out of the room that I was in and slam back into my body, wake up and open up a beer. I would just start processing. And I'm so I'm sitting here, I'm 25 years old, got all this money, here's, here's young gun, chilling out in his house, drinking beers just to process what's going on, wondering how to share this with people, wondering because this, because there was something happening. I could feel it in my body that there was something happening that was not just a dream. And so it happened again. And then it happened again. Again. I crash landed at the mystery school at age 27 and they sort of <laughs> picked up the pieces of what was left of me in my mad exploration of, of all things cosmic and non-ordinary states of reality and um, I was one of those guys that moved too fast so I was moving really fast my body was breaking down and at the same time, um, I was still drinking and drugging after these incredibly transformative weekends, not realizing that once I was introduced to these new levels of reality, that having a drink would affect me 10 times as hard, 20 times as hard, because the biology of my body was activated and it was waking up, you know? The physiology just is operating on a whole different level. So if I introduce chemicals and things like that, it's just, it, it completely rocks me. I didn't listen. You know, that's one of my main things first couple of years of being on this path was that I was not listening. I wasn't listening to my body. I wouldn't listen to my teachers. I had this hard-nosed approach to I'm going to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer what happened before the Big Bang. I'm going to know everything. I'm going to understand God, not quite realizing that that's not what it's about. You know, it's about knowing and not knowing. So there I was in that consciousness. And we only meet four times a year, but those four weekends are huge, huge weekends. And I'll never forget, man, this one Sunday, I didn't make it. I couldn't make it. I was too fucked up from the night before. And I just could, I literally could not get out of bed. My body was such a wreck, you know, and I felt terrible about it, but the school was compassionate and they gave me the recordings for the day. And I went on and I just, you know, I kept going through the school. So it wasn't like I was kicked out or anything. I just missed the day, right? So then fast forward a couple years and I suddenly realize Oh my God, there's an entire day of mystery school teachings that I haven't dove into yet. I'm like, how did I forget this? Because each day, each, each word that they speak was so precious to me, was so life changing, was so, it, it changed everything. It was so valuable, you know? The school cost a certain amount of money. I would have given them $500 million, you know, for what I was getting out of it. And somehow I forgot about this teaching. So I'm like, okay, I got this whole house to myself right now. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to spend the day uh, 
as if I was in school that day, you know? So here I am two years later, I'm sitting down and I, I sit down to the lecture. And as the lecture starts, I hear my teacher, Brenda go, okay, today we're gonna talk about the cupness of time, you know? And so we start to talk about all the different dimensions of how time plays out. And um, without getting into too much detail, essentially past, present, and future are all happening at the same time in a certain way, right? And there's a way that we can hold it in our conscious awareness that allows us to perceive this. And then really funky stuff takes place. So this is my first introduction to this. So I turn it on and I start listening to this lecture of cupness of time. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is good stuff. And while I'm listening to it, I look up and, you know, I'm sitting at my desk and I look up in the window and there's these red and blue flashing lights. And um, I pop up out of my seat and I look outside and there's a couple ambulances, a couple cop cars, a couple people outside. And I sat there looking at it and I can still hear, I'm still getting the lecture in my ear of the cupness of time. And um, I'm feeling into the scene that's in front of me and it's got that stillness. It's got that, that feeling that something really bad has just happened. Um, these people are in shock. And um, I'm, watching, I'm watching this go down and I'm seeing uh, these two young girls, they're probably in their teens, hop out of their car and they're crying and they're holding each other. And the EMT, drinking their coffee, talking about it, because you know that this is probably their fourth call of the day, you know? And I'm just, I'm watching this whole scene unfold. And uh, I'm taken back to, what was it? Nine years earlier, it was nine years earlier when this exact scene was in front of my house after my brother died. So here I am, all alone in my house, listening to this lecture about the cupness of time watching a scene unfold right in front of me that happened nine years earlier at the same quality, the same quality of something really bad has just suddenly happened and people are in shock. And I see them take a dead body out of the house and my heart just breaks. This is my neighbor, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching their heart break, my heart's breaking, and all I want to do is go to them and tell them everything that I've learned in these last few years about life after death, about the cosmic nature of reality, about how this isn't just it. And I wanted to explain the healing journey that I went on from my brother's death and my, all these other, you know, crises in my life and let them know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it was just like, I was like, I wanted, it, there was just, if there's anything I could do, I just wanted to go there and just transmit all of the knowledge that I had in that moment. But I couldn't, I was helpless. And all along while I'm feeling all of this, Brenda's voice, my teacher, is teaching me about how time flows forward and backwards and it swirls around in a cup and it's just all happening at the same time. And I don't know how this is affecting me at all, but um, I ended up, I remember I walked up the stairs. I couldn't, I couldn't look at the scene anymore. It was too much for me. My heart was breaking. And I sat down in my stairs, I'm still listening to the teachings, and I just start crying and bawling in my hands. And I'm just crying, I'm crying for them, I'm crying for myself, I'm crying for my family, I'm crying for my brother. And I dropped into the, this really deep place in my heart. And I realized in that moment that if this cold cupness of time thing was true, 
that I could send a message back to myself and tell myself that I was experiencing what my neighbors were experiencing at that very moment, that everything that you thought about the world was about to change. And yes, this was a terrible loss. This is a terrible tragedy. You lost your brother. But everything is going to change and it's, you're going you're gonna to open up to this portion of reality that is so incredibly breathtaking, that's so beautiful beyond your wildest imagination. You don't have a scope for the scope of it. You have no idea what kind of ride you're about to go on. And I just took all of this energy. I mean, I went on and on and on and on and I gathered it up in this big ball in my heart and I sent it back to my 21-year-old self, this, the self that was standing there at the end of the table of my brother. I showed up there t- 10 minutes after he died. His face was all fucked up and I remember seeing the shock in my parents' faces. And I, I just... I walked in and I walked right out and I went to the bathroom. I remember putting my back against the, the, the bathroom door, sliding down onto my butt and sitting there and just kind of being like, what's my life going to be like now? You know, like, what does this mean? Like, just still processing. I was in shock. And then something happened when I was in that bathroom and, um, I suddenly felt like I had the strength of two people. And um, I didn't know what to make of it. So I stood up and I walked out of the bathroom. I ended up going to the diner with my friends and they're asking me how I was doing. And I said, you know, I don't know if I'm in shock or not, but I feel like I have the strength of two people right now. And it was in that moment that I realized that um, I'd received the message that I had sent from nine years in the future and it really opened up um, a deeper exploration into the nature of reality because my ego structure at that time received the message the message was as you heal through this trauma as you heal through this heartbreak a journey beyond your wildest imaginations is going to take place and it's going to take you on this ride that you never could possibly imagine And I received it as, I have the strength of two people. And that was all I needed to keep going. And it also happened to turn out that my brother did have my back each step of the way. And that started off um, immediately after he passed. Um, It's funny hearing the sirens here, the holographic nature of what we're talking about, you know, showing up. Hmm. of time, huh? That's how it works, man. Synchronicity, man. It's how reality reveals itself. So, man, I sent that message to myself and I received it. I received it in the way that my ego structure could receive it in that time. And I lived into it for the next nine years until the very moment that I woke up and I realized that I sent that message to myself. You follow? Man. So now, whenever I remember to, whenever I'm in a tough time, I send a message back to myself. 
and I know that I'm going to receive it. And that actually goes both ways. I can also sense my future self this way. I can send a message there, send this little metaphysical grappling hook into the future, this note, this message in a bottle, send it off in the cupness of time, let it drift in the shores of time. Let's keep this metaphor going as far as we can. And I mean, it, it, um, it was just one of those times, you know, just another one of those times where I had that lived experience of that mystical side of life, that, that, that absolutely beautiful mystery how it's always playing out even in the worst of times yeah so that that experience um, feeling others experience what I had that that level of tragedy and heartbreak and uh, the helplessness that I felt in that moment was one of the first times that I really claimed my healership. I simultaneously recognized this magical side of nature, but it paled all of that wild roller coaster ride that I sent from my heart to my heart (laughs) through the cupness of time paled in comparison to my desire to be there for somebody that was experiencing that much pain so um yeah that was that was one of the moments that i committed to being a healer and saying that this is this is what i'm gonna do this is what i have to do and I started to see the intelligence in how all the jobs that I had, you know, being a sales rep and being that alpha male, learning how to work hard through athletics, I started to see the intelligence in that. And I started to see the intelligence in the tragedies that I had and how if I met them in a particular way and I got enough support and I realized that as fucked up as I was, if I worked through it, that's what would make me be able to meet people where they are you know it's kind of funny the more fucked up you are if you work through that stuff you'd be an incredible healer the addict becomes the healer Across the river from Sleepy Hollow, Tim and I are still on the pier. As he shares one more story about his late brother Rob, a boat offshore full of rowdy upstaters starts singing American Pie. This is a song I knew was a favorite of Tim and his brother. They'd sing it together. Tim talks about it all the time. And seeing Tim's reaction to that was priceless. He still gets lost in the wonder when experiencing this type of coincidence. He shoots me a glance knowing full well I'm hearing this song and that I know its significance. He says, I told you so. Rob is saying hello. Tell me what just happened. (laughs) Dude, how do I encapsulate the secret language that's not so secret? 
Maybe it's the sort of thing, this implied gentle nod from the beyond, that can help us feel less alone in the aftermath of loss, like reality itself is with us during the grief of it all. Maybe the smile on Tim's face as he listens to that song is all we need to see to believe, to feel that maybe it doesn't really matter why or where it's all coming from, because its impact is clear, and it's easy to understand why someone like Tim would want to share this feeling with others, to help them learn to listen, to help them heal too. You'd have to jog my memory, but in just a day and a half that we've been recording this, you have witnessed enough to at least entertain the, the thought that, yeah, maybe somebody or something or some process or some function is actually listening, right? Some people call that spirit. It's what permeates through everything. I more like to focus on consciousness because that includes spirit, that includes the flesh, includes everything, you know? And, um, Man, I just gotta say, when you work in that area, that's that's when that's when all form, that's when all form, which normally causes everybody anxiety because it's constantly changing. Well, the other side of that is preciousness. Everything becomes precious, and we begin to have reverence for all things because because I can't. There's no word. There's no word for it. It's actually just the feeling. You know, so we're sitting here stumbling and fumbling, trying to communicate what we're experiencing live, sharing these stories, you know, but we're also getting just as much out of this as anybody listening, if not more, if not more, you know, and there's, we can't, I cannot put a word to what this experience is. It's just a, it's just that. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's nothing and everything. There goes the ambulance. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. Thanks also to those taking our survey at euphemet.com. It helps us create the show, so please keep the surveys coming in. Also, join the Society of Euphemet group on Facebook to keep connected so we can keep searching together. And make sure to follow us at Euphemet on social media. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. Until next time, keep looking up. <laughs>